From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha, DPP. This is Monday, May 23rd, 2022, and I am super excited to be starting a new week with you. Together, we're going to study the Torah portion this week from the first reading through the seventh reading. We do this Monday through Friday, with some exceptions when there are some other classes or other things going on. But this week, hopefully we'll get in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and in those four days, we'll cover all seven. The goal for today would be to, will be to cover one and two, but we'll see how far we get. All right, I'm going to open up. I will not open up. I will share my screen. And we are going to jump into the Torah portion, which I have not yet named, but you'll see it soon. Okay, Parshat B'chukotai. Uh, what do they have on the front page? Weekly sermonette. They have an eye. Our mystery is supposed to stay mystery. is interesting. Okay, always an, a great website, Chabad.org. Great articles, videos, and audio. All right, Torah reading for Bechukotai. Reading number one, Leviticus chapter 26. And yes, you are seeing this correctly. It is a very short reading. Let's jump right in. The Torah says, or God is speaking, if you follow my statutes. This is God speaking to Moses to speak with the Jewish people. That's how the Torah introduced this conversation two verses ago at the end of last week's Torah portion. If you follow my statutes and observe my commandments and perform them, so three things, follow, three verbs, follow, observe, and perform. So then God says, if you do that for me, here's what I'll do for you. Classic bartering, classic negotiation. Then I will give your rains in their time. It's going to rain when it, when, it, when it needs to rain. The land will yield its produce, and the tree of the field will give forth its fruit. So we have three obligations on our end, and three promises on God's end. Follow my statutes, observe my commandments, perform them, that's on our side, and then God says, if you do that, I'll do three things. Give your rains in their time. Land will yield its produce. That's referring to like the grains and other things like that. And the tree of the field will give fruit, forth its fruit. That refers to, of course, <coughs> fruit-bearing trees, vineyards, etc. But the blessings continue. It's not only three for three. God then takes it to the next level. Your threshing will last until the vintage. In other words... The grapes, right? The grapes that will, that are on the threshing floor, the food that's on the threshing floor is going to last until the next vintage. And the vintage, hi Faye, welcome. And the vintage will last until the sowing. So there's, there's never going to be a lag in the food. There's always going to be enough food. It's going to be, the, the crop is going to come in or the, the fruits or the vineyard. It's going to come in so much that it's going to last until the next one already kicks in. You will eat your food to satiety. 
and you will live in security in your land. These, by the way, if this sounds familiar, these are blessings that we had, I believe, last week's Torah portion about eating your food to satiety. It said if you observe the Shemitah, if you observe the sabbatical year, then you're going to eat your food to satiety and you will live in security in your land. And Rashi there explained that live in security in your land meant that you'll live with security that there's going to be enough rain, not going to, there's not going to be a drought, um, the food is going to be plenty. That's what it means to live in security. Not that you're not going to live in fear of your enemies, but rather in fear of going hungry. But we'll see what Rashi says here. Perhaps we have a bit of a different twist on the blessings here. And by the way, I will mention that um, um, I will mention that you know what, uh, what what's what is the cause of the blessings here? It's not specifically about observing Shemitah. God says, if you pr- follow my statutes, that's a, a general term, observe my commandments, perform them. That's referring to the collective body of Torah and mitzvot. So before we talk about Rashi, I need to clarify the term statutes and commandments. Okay, what are statutes and what are commandments? So there are three types of mitzvot. Edos, chukim, and mishpatim. I'm going to just toggle the screen off for a second. There's edos, chukim, and mishpatim. What are edos? Edus are testimonials, mitzvahs that bear testimony to something, some event, or some, you know, symbol in Judaism. So, for example, Shabbat is a testimonial in the sense that it bears testimony to the fact that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. So, to commemorate that, to bear testimony to that, so to speak, we observe Shabbat. Passover, testimonial. Rosh Hashanah, testimonial. So, the holidays and other types of of, uh, of mitzvot similar to that are testimonials. Then you have chukim. Chukim are decrees. Essentially, there's no rationale for it. We have no idea why God said it, why God wants it. God said it, so we do it. And classic example of that is not mixing meat and milk. Why? The Torah doesn't say it doesn't taste good. The Torah doesn't say it's not healthy. There's no rationale given. God says, don't mix meat and milk. That's it. Finished. So that's a decree. Decree in the sense that God decreed, and we're meant to follow. It's not, it's not about understanding it. It's not about symbolism. It's not bearing testimony to something. Now, with that being said, as you know, we've explored all of these types of mitzvot in depth. The commentaries do ascribe meaning, significance, uh, a rationale to these mitzvot, because that's what the commentaries do. That's why they get paid the big bucks, right? That's, why, that's what they're doing. That's what we've done over the last 3,300 years is try to figure out, okay, what does it mean for us? But fundamentally, a decree is a decree. It just is because it is. So not mixing wool and linen together in a garment. Why? It's a chok. It's one of the chukim. That's second category. Third category are mishpatim. Mishpatim refer to those mitzvot that make sense. Logical. In fact, they're so logical, they, did, they don't even have to be Jewish. In other words, other peoples in other societies might also come up with the same mitzvah. For example, do not kill, no murder. That makes a lot of sense. Now, not that every society has laws against murder because historically societies have been pretty cruel and evil. Um, But by and large, societies have posited over the years it's probably not a good thing for people just to kill each other and take each other out. So it's something we don't want to do. That's an example of of a mishpat, mishpatim are the laws that make a lot of sense. In the language of the Talmud, even if Torah, God forbid, what hadn't been given to us, we would have also figured it out. At some point, human beings would have figured it out. 
do not kill, do not steal, respect each other's property and family, etc. All right, those things make sense. Um, so when we're looking at, you know, we're looking at this, uh, the opening of the Torah portion, it says, If you will follow, and really follow means go in the ways of. Telechu means telech. It's like travel a path. If you go in the ways of my statutes, chukim. It's not about rationale. It's not about understanding. It's about following. It's about walking that path. God says, this is the path. I want you to walk it. It makes sense. It doesn't make sense. Don't limit it to your mind. Go with my, the path that I've laid out before you. And then observe my commandments. That would probably refer to one of the other categories of mitzvot. Okay, now that, that's just an introduction about what the word b'chukosai means. It's from the word chok, which is a decree or a statute. Here it's called statute. Something that is super rational. Okay, and again, the name of the Torah portion, b'chukotai. Let's take a look at Rashi. Rashi comes along and turns everything on its head. Because what I've explained until now is the simple meaning of the word b'chukosai. B'chukosai means, or b'chukotai means statutes, right? As it's translated here, decree statutes. Comes along Rashi and says, nope, it means something else. I might think, says Rashi, that this refers to the fulfillment of the commandments, or specifically the decrees. However, when scripture says in the very next clause of the verse, and observe my commandments, Right? It says, if you follow my statutes and observe my commandments, the fulfillment of the commandments is already stated. So what's the meaning of if you follow my statutes? What's the first clause? Rashi says, and this is certainly, not all of the commentaries um, agree with this or say this. Commentaries explain like what I told you, that chukim or chukim and mitzvot refer to other categories of mitzvot. Nonetheless, Rashi takes a very unique perspective based on the Midrash. And Rashi says it means that you must toil in the study of Torah you must toil in the study of Torah. That's what it means. If you follow my statutes, meaning toiling in the study of Torah. For the word for follow here, telechu, literally means walk, which is strenuous activity. So it's toiling strenuously in the study of Torah. Now, you have to understand how bizarre this is. Rashi. Don't worry. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make nice with Rashi soon. But just understand how puzzling Rashi's commentary is. Because as I told you, every, everywhere in Torah, every time you have the word chok, Chukim, b'chukotai. It means the mitzvot that don't have a rationale. Mitzvot that are super irrational decrees. And here Rashi says, what does it refer to? It refers to amalim batayra. It refers to toiling in Torah study. And one might say that's the opposite of the simple meaning. Because Torah study is not a chok. Let me explain. A chok is a type of mitzvah that makes no sense. And what's Torah study? It's all about making sense of things. Think about it. Torah study is all about understanding. Especially if you're toiling to study Torah, that means you're really working hard to understand. That's the opposite of a chok. Look, a chok means that I'm adopting, for, back, for lack of better terminology, and excuse my example here, you're adopting a soldier mentality. What's a soldier mentality? You know, in the army, which I've never been, but from what I understand, in an army, it's probably not good. You know, when your commander, when the general tells you to do something, it's probably, you're probably not a good soldier if your first thing is raising your hand and saying, you know, why are we doing this? I actually have my own idea. If you're a soldier, unless you're in higher command, then that's your part of the conversation. If you're a soldier, 
Your job is follow orders. In Bechukot HaTelechot, the simple meaning is, God says, when you follow orders, I'll give you the rain, I'll give you the food, I'll give you the produce, the security, I'll give you the blessings, everything you need. Follow orders. Don't ask too many questions. What does Rashi say? Nope. Doesn't mean follow orders. It means working hard to study Torah. That's the opposite of following orders. Following orders means that you're not thinking, you're doing. Learning Torah means you're thinking, you're not doing. I mean, you're learning Torah, that's doing something, but what you're doing is an activity of thinking. You guys with me on the question? Seems like Rashi is explaining the verse 180 degrees different. So one way of understanding or reconciling, better term, reconciling this, is understanding what Rashi, why Rashi uses the word toil. That the mitzvah, the Torah is telling us, God is telling us to toil in the study of Torah. What does it mean to toil in Torah study? It doesn't just mean to study a lot of Torah. That's not called toiling or working. What does it mean to toil or work in, in the study of Torah? That means that even when you don't understand, even when it's not so exciting, even when you're stuck, you still study Torah. In other words, it's Torah study. Hey, Ray, welcome back. Hey, you made it back in. That's the main thing. Good. Welcome, Mark. Welcome. Oh, you're welcome. All right. So it means to study Torah beyond the point that is just to satisfy your rational mind. Because if it's just to satisfy your rational mind, at some point you're going to stop. And that's not considered toiling. That's considered dabbling. Or that's considered indulging. Enjoying. There's nothing wrong with that. But toiling in Torah study means that you push yourself beyond what's comfortable or what the mind demands for you to study. So the mind is curious. And the mind says, oh, let's figure this out. So we study Torah. This is great. There's nothing as enjoyable as Torah study. But Rashi says, don't just stop there. Keep on studying beyond your curiosity. Study for the sake of doing a mitzvah for God. God wants you to study His Torah. We study it, not just because we're curious and because we want to understand, but because it's a mitzvah. In other words, Saif Dabr HaKol Nishma, at the end of this, at the end of this idea that I'm trying to share, here's what emerges. There's two types of Torah study. There's Torah study with an agenda, which is for self, for my knowledge, for my curiosity, for my sharpens my mind, it makes me feel excited when I study Torah. That's all Torah for me. And what Rashi is suggesting, that the Torah is suggesting, that God is suggesting is, that once in a while we should study Torah for God. Not because we want to, but because God has told us to. Studying Torah on that level is called Torah Lishma. Studying Torah for the sake of Torah and not for the sake of ourselves, or for the sake of God and not for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with studying Torah to understand. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's another dimension of Torah study. One might argue a higher dimension of Torah study. That's not about self. It's about God. I'm studying it from the place of following orders. God says, study, I'm going to study. Is it exciting? Is it thrilling? Does it make sense? Does it answer a lot of my questions in life? Sure. But I'm not going to stop when my questions are answered. I'm going to still keep on learning. I'm toiling in Torah study. Lishma, for the sake of God's name. Or for the sake of God. 
That's a higher level of Torah study, and that is how Rashi explains the opening words of our verse in if you follow or walk in the decrees or statutes of God, it means studying Torah in a way that is uh, beyond. Just to give you an anecdote, an anecdote about this. The Talmud says that someone who reviews their study of Torah 100 times, the same topic, 100 times, is called someone who's not serving God. But someone who reviews their studies 101 times, that person is really serving God. What's the difference? So the Alter Rebbe in Tanya explains this. So for those of you that have studied Tanya before, or dabbled in Tanya, this may, you may sound familiar. Alter Rebbe explains this with the analogy, I think the Talmud even brings it, of a donkey for hire. Like, uh, you know, like back in the day, before Uber, <laughs> before Uber, there were, before Uber, there were yellow cabs. Remember those yellow ta- taxis? Before that, there were, there were donkey and donkey, donkeys and donkey drivers. So you would hire, you would pull up your app, which was basically a tablet, a stone tablet. You would take another stone and start smack. No, I'm kidding. No, no, this is not true. No, they, this is just a joke. And, you know, they would, they would rent, uh, rent the donkey. So the Talmud says that if you go, I forget the exact measure of, of distance, but, you know, the, the donkeys and the donkey drivers, they, there was a standard, you know, routes that they would take. So if you went the standard route, it cost you $1, let's just say. Up to 10, you know, 10 parcels, 10, or 10, whatever. I'm giving the wrong, the wrong uh, area uh, words. I don't remember the Talmudic terms, but 10 whatever, t- up to 10 uh, miles, I don't know would cost, you know, one coin. And if you went 11, what if you wanted to go 11? Two coins. What? I want to go only one more? From 10 to 11, you're going to double the price? Yes. Why? Because the donkeys were used to going that amount. The donkey drivers were used to going that amount. You want to go beyond, you want to push them beyond the limit, beyond their comfort zone? Now you're going to pay. How much? Not incrementally. You're going to pay exponentially. You're going to pay two times. The same thing is true with Torah study. Back in the day, listen to this. This is how the author explains it. Back in the day, this is before the oral Torah was written down. Can you imagine? All they had written down was the five books of Moses and other scripture, but none of the explanations or other cases or other details of what we study in the Mishnah, the Talmud, and the Kodo Jewish law, none of that was written down. Where was it? In their heads. How do you move it from one generation to the next? Teacher to student, the students would review the studies 100 times to sear it in their brains, to commit it to memory. They studied 100 times. But the student who studied, who reviewed the studies 101 times, that's someone who did it not just to retain it, but someone who did it to study Torah for God. The 101st time, that's really for God. And that's why the Talmud says that when you study a hundred times, you're not serving God. You're doing it for yourself. Now, ultimately, it's for a good cause. Nothing wrong with that. But it's for your own memory, for your own retention, for your own, you know, to be a scholar. If you do 101, now you're doing it for God. We know in life, there's always, you know, a certain, whatever measure that we're doing something could be for ourselves. But when you go above and beyond, that means you're doing it for for the other. You're doing it. Like, I'll give you another example. This is true with every mitzvah. 
you could, and we brought this in, in, in classes before. We, I think we had a Torah studies recently similar to this topic. You know, there's a mit, you could do a mitzvah, build a sukkah, matzah, lulav, esrog, whatever. You could do mitzvahs uh, in a way that satisfies the obligation, and that's it. You, you did the mitzvah. But then there's something called hider mitzvah. Hider mitzvah means you do it in a beautiful way. You do it above and beyond what's, what, the, what the requirement is. And that's associated with doing it for God or doing it for the mitzvah, not for yourself. You do it for yourself, okay, so you just get, you do whatever you need to do to get, to get it done. But when you do it for God, you go above and beyond. So there's this 100 versus 101. There's this, you know, the donkeys have their limit and then pushing them beyond the limit. And then for us, there's the amount of Torah that we would study for our own curiosity and knowledge. And then going above that, toiling in Torah, as Rashi says, toiling, to study really hard, not for a test, not for ourselves, but just because it's a mitzvah. That's what triggers the blessings on high, according to Rashi. It's a beautiful idea. All right, back inside. And observe my commandments. Rashi says, you shall toil in the study of Torah. Rashi reiterates that first piece. In order to observe and fulfill the commandments. So studying Torah for the sake of God also means that you're not studying for your own knowledge and wisdom, but you're studying for God, and you're studying ultimately to do what God wants. Again, it's not about yourself. It's about doing what God wants. This is similar to the Shema. Hear, O Israel. I think the Shema. Maybe not. I don't know. Hear, O Israel, the statutes and ordinances. No, probably not the Shema. And learn them and keep in mind to do them. Why are we learning them? To keep in mind to do them. To put them into practice. I learned the Torah in order to keep them in your heart and perform them. So ultimately, the learning is for the doing, which again is not about you. It's about fulfilling God's will. All right, now, if we do all that, as Rashi explained and as we've uh, been elaborating on, God says, I will give you your reins in their time. Look at Rashi. When is in their time? That means a good time. At a time when people do not usually go out, for example, on Sabbath Eve. That means Friday night. Friday night. Imagine, Friday night, everyone went to synagogue and now they're home. And what are they doing at home? They're eating a Shabbat dinner. Everyone's it's peaceful. It's tranquil. It's beautiful. They're singing. There's, uh, there's candles, flickering candlelight, you know, dancing on the table. Um, not literally, but figuratively. I'm trying to paint a picture here. Just work with me, people. All right, so the, the candles are flickering, and there's wine, and there's challah, and there's gefilte fish, and salad, and soup, and kugels, and chicken. I'm giving you a very Ashkenazi-centric uh, menu here. Then you have dessert, and ice cream, and fruit, and cake, and brownies, whatever, whatever your, uh, your deal is. Perfect. And then, and then the meal is over. Ah, go to sleep. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful Friday night. Perfect time for the rains to fall. No one's going to work. No one's coming back from work. Everyone's at home and it's peaceful. I know what you're thinking. What if I ate over a friend's house Friday night? I have to get back home. It's going to be raining. Okay, so maybe after everyone comes home. The point is, no one's working, you know, the night shift, or the, <coughs> you know, the overnight shift. Friday night, it's Shabbos. You know, you're not working. So it's a perfect time for the rains to fall. So when God says that if you follow Torah, mitzvot, etc., I'll give you the rain in its time, what does that mean? Not just in the rainy season, that's a given. But even within the rainy season, on Friday nights, when it's, uh, when it's peaceful, when it's tranquil, when it's a good time to fall, 
Yes. Questions, comments? Nope. Mark? Yeah, Rabbi Ari, yeah. Although I was jumping ahead to the next uh, Pusik. Um, Rosh, does, this doesn't make sense to me what Rashi says and the commentators. Okay. Simply because it's out of context. Because the whole Pusik says, uh, the la- uh, uh, I will give, uh, I'll provide your rains and your time, and the land will give its produce, uh, and the tree of the field will give its fruit. That's Good. the context. The context is not going outside on Shabbos. Excellent. Good question. So Rashi is giving us something. You're right. Rashi is giving us a little extra, a little extra pizzazz over here. Not just rains in your time, in their time, in the sense that it's going to be yielding the produce and the fruit, but rain in their time, it's going to be convenient even within the rainy season. It'll fall at a convenient time when people are not going to be annoyed with the rain. You know, there's that, mixed, that, there's that mixed emotion when rain falls. You know, it's raining this morning, or it was raining this morning in Atlanta. And it's kind of like, great, the crops need it, the ground needs it, the fruit needs it, the, the earth, we all need water, we need rain. At the same time, like, I've got to make my way to the car, that's annoying. We might catch ourselves thinking that. So here God is saying, I'm going to make it rain in such a way that you're not even going to be annoyed. It's going to be so beautiful and tranquil. You'll be able to sit at home hearing the rain. It's like, um, you know, they sell these machines that make the ambient noises, like a rain uh, sound machine. It's great. iPhones do that now. Yeah. Oh, I've, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I remember back in the day you had to go to Sharper Image or something like that to get that type yeah. of thing. Remember Sharper Image? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sharper Image was great. You would walk in there, you sit down in the chair, you get a massage, then you buy a gravity pen from NASA. It's like just fantastic. What a store. What an eclectic mix. You got like a perpetual thing that goes back and forth with a battery, perpetual, whatever. Anyway, uh, I'm pretty sure somebody bought Sharper Image and resurrected them. I know they closed down, but I think somebody bought the name. All right, this podcast is not, or a class, not sponsored by Sharper Image, although (laughs) open to the possibilities. Back inside. The tree of the field, this refers to trees planted in the field as opposed to the orchard that do not bear fruit but are destined to bear fruit in the future. Again, Rashi is giving us not necessarily the literal or the simple, the pure, I mean, Rashi is all about the simple meaning, but these are not necessarily the intuitive understandings, but Rashi gives us a little extra, little extra oomph. Now, your threshing will last until the vintage, and the vintage until the sowing, for the threshing will be so plentiful, as I mentioned when I read it, that you will be occupied with it until the vintage, and you'll be occupied with the vintage until the sowing season. In other words, it's going to be a full There'll be so much, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a full-time, full, uh, all year round, 365 days a year, um, uh, malacha, job. And you will eat your food to satiety. Listen to this. One will eat only a little food, but it will become blessed in one's innards. Even a little will go a long way. Now, is that a blessing? I don't know. It's an interesting, you know, nowadays... You know, we're, like, we're all foodies when I say we're all. If you're not, then I apologize. But, I mean, come on. We're all foodies. At this point, with Instagram, everyone's a foodie. It's like, look what I did. I have, uh, you know, <coughs> I opened up, you know, a can of corn, but look at what I did with it. I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm just giving you, like, a, right, the concept. It's like everyone's into food, which is, it's fine. You know, food, is, uh, food is food. It's fuel. But here we have this, this blessing of a little food going a long way. Maybe it's like when you go to, like, the really fancy, um, fancy restaurants and you order and you get like really little portions. But it goes a long way. At least, uh, at least it'll go a long way on the credit card. Okay, 
Back to our story. Let's jump in now to reading number... Let's go to reading number two, back inside. Okay? So we have beautiful blessings for studying Torah and doing the mitzvot. Next. Oh, you know what? I should mention something else. Before we, before, well, I can mention it at the end, but let me do it right now. Back to the first reading. The first, the second word, which is the name of the Torah portion, Bechukotai. Bechukotai telechu. So chok, right? The root of that word is chok. Chok is a decree. But Rashi explains it doesn't mean a decree. It means, uh, it means what's it called? It means um, uh, studying Torah in a way of toil, etc. But chok also is related to the Hebrew word. Listen to this. Related to the Hebrew word chakika. Chakika means, or lechakek, means to engrave. So a stone that's engraved is, was chakika, uh, was, was, was engraved. So, I mean, a stone that's engraved is engraved, yes, but the, the Hebrew word for that is similar to this word of statute. And the connection here is that Torah and mitzvot is meant to be engraved in our minds, hearts, and souls, like the engraving of a stone. Think about the difference between ink on parchment versus engraving in a stone. A, a tale of two scripture, two scriptures. Ready? A Torah, a Torah scroll. Picture a Torah scroll, parchment, with white, white parchment with black, black ink. Right? Handwritten black ink on top of the parchment. So that's a Torah scroll versus the tablets that contain the Ten Commandments. Think of those tablets. Picture, if you will, picture the tablets, sapphire, right? blue sapphire stone, engraved in the stone, all the way through engraved are the letters of the Ten Commandments. What's the difference? So Kabbalah and Hasidus elaborates on this at length. Many times you'll find in Hasidic teachings, the difference between written letters and engraved letters. The difference is that when you write something, you have two entities. There's the surface, and then there's the ink. And you're layering one on top of the other, but there's still two things. Two things. Whereas when you engrave in stone, the letters are the hollow of the stone itself. You don't have two entities. It's mineu the letters are from the stone itself. I mean, it's an absence of stone, but it's not two separate, it's not two separate entities. So there's two ways that we can connect with God, with Torah, with mitzvot. We can connect in a way of writing. We can connect in a way of engraving. Writing means we remain separate and God remains separate, but we're in proximity. So we study Torah, but there's still us. And the Torah, two separate entities. But we're just, we're interfacing, we're connecting. Uh, there's me and God, and God's mitzvah. I'm doing the mitzvah, but there's me and the mitzvah, and I'm doing it. Engraved means that it's in me. It's part of me. Who am I? I study Torah. I do mitzvot. It's so part of my identity that it's inseparable. That's the difference between writing and engraving. Is it separable or is it inseparable? And so what the Torah, according to Hasidic philosophy, what the Torah, what God is telling us is that the true depth of Torah study and mitzvah performance is not when we're doing it, but when 
it becomes who we are, our identity. Like engraved stone that becomes part of the identity. The letters are part of the identity of the stone itself. The Torah that we study and the mitzvot that we do should be part of who we are, not just something that we do. So it's kind of like, is it a side hustle that we have? Like, yeah, here, this is who I am. On the side, I do some Torah, some mitzvot. Or is it who we are? And it's not a challenging question. It's not a, no one has to answer it. It's a question, it's, it's two, different, two different ways of thinking about our relationship with Judaism, with Torah, with mitzvot. And here, the Torah is encouraging us to be part of it. To, that it should be part of us and we should be part of it. I, it meaning Torah and mitzvot. It's kind of like those Gatorade commercials. Remember those Gatorade commercials where they, 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 would, they would have the athletes who were like sweating, you know, running, runners, or and, and then they would like knock down a Gatorade, like a yellow, fluorescent yellow Gatorade, and you would see their sweat would turn like fluorescent yellow. And the tagline, was, tagline of those ads were, is it in you? Gatorade is not just a drink, it becomes part of your biology. Now you're, it's almost like, I mean, it's great marketing. Um, the message was, you want to be an athlete, so drink this. This will make you an athlete. It's almost like a shortcut to be, whatever. But like, is it in you? Meaning this is the, the drink of athletes. Like, is it, are you, are you sweating out the Gatorade itself? Are you, it's like part of your biology. But that's the question with Torah, with mitzvot. Is it in you? <sighs> Are you doing it is one thing, but is it in you? That's like, that's the next level. So that's what this means. And by the way, this is how the Rebbe explains another question. It's a really beautiful analysis. All this is coming from, I said this in the way the Rebbe puts a spin on it. You know, it seems odd that the reward for Torah and mitzvot is rain and produce. It seems a little bit random. It's like, okay, do spiritual things and you know what you'll get? Physical reward. It's like, it's not such a crazy question. I mean, you could understand it. But if you think about it, what would make more sense is do something spiritual, you get something spiritual. Do something physical, you get something physical. It seems like physical to physical, spiritual to spiritual. But here the Torah says, study Torah, do mitzvot, and you know what you're going to get? Rain and crops. It's like, what happened here? So the way the Rebbe explains it is exactly the same idea of the chok and the Gatorade, you know, is it in you, the engraved. Because we're not just doing Torah and mitzvot. The whole point of the verse is that it's in us. What does it mean that it's in us? It's part of who we are, part of our biology. We don't just study Torah with our heads. Torah is part of who we are. We don't just do a mitzvah with our hands. It's who we are. That, what, you know what that means? That means that we're integrating Torah and mitzvot into our very being, physical being. It's engraved in our stone. Ah, oh, if you can take something spiritual and engrave it in your life, you know what the reward is? A spiritual blessing from God integrated in real life, manifest in rain, manifest in crops. Does that make sense? The whole thing is not just doing something spiritual. It's taking the spiritual and making a part of the physical reality of you, of, of us. If we do that, then God does the same thing. Midah keneged midah, right? Measure for measure. If we can take something spiritual and integrate it into us, engrave it into us, then God takes His spiritual blessings and engraves it in the world itself so that the world responds with blessing to us. It's like, you know, those movies 
that break out into a musical, and the character walks down, and you know the, the grass looks shabby, and then it just turns green, and the flowers start blossoming, and the birds start you know floating around the character as they're skipping and dancing, you know, like the whole scene. That's what's going on here. The spiritual is integrating with the physical. If as a re reward of Torah and mitzvot, all we got was olam haba, like reward in the afterlife, more pie in the sky, more spiritual reward, that means we're not doing it right. <laughs> that means our experience is still elevated. It's still transcendent. It's still theoretical. If the, if the result of our actions with Torah and mitzvot is spiritual reward, that means it was never brought down into us. We were doing it, but we were doing it on a level that's disconnected, so the reward is disconnected. If we're doing it in a way, if we're studying Torah and, and, and performing mitzvot in a way that's integrated with right here, right now, with the world, with us, then the blessings are also going to be integrated. So it's all about integration. And if you're familiar with, and I think everyone here is, with the Rebbe's teachings, you know that this is probably the central theme of everything the Rebbe taught. All about integration, bringing heaven down to earth, making this world a home for God. That's what Mashiach is. That's what Torah mitzvot are. That's what, and that's why the blessing for Torah mitzvot is rain. It's not, it's not like, it's not a, a disappointment. It's not like, that's it? Just rain? I thought we were going to get something bigger. No, 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 that's big. If, if the world itself is responding in a way that's just culminating in blessings, that means we're doing it right. It means we're transforming this world into God's garden. Okay, hope that makes sense. Rabbi Ari. Yes. Two things. First, about the engraving. Yeah. It, I, I'm reminded that when the Ten Commandments were engraved, and it was all the way through, as you said, they read correctly no matter which side you look, look both, at. Both sides. And so the mem and the mem was a miracle because the mem is a perfect square, which means that if you cut a square all the way through, you know what happens? The inside would fall out. But it hovered. It hovered. Strategically placed magnets. I'm kidding. It was a miracle. They could read it. It read both ways. And the mems and the samachs also. Those are the two circular or square letters that cut all the way through. Those remained in, uh, in, in a miracle state. Yeah. So, so, I mean. Um, yeah, Joy, jump in. Oh, okay. Um, I had one comment also is for a reason, not, we don't have to have a reason for the rain, but we are, after all, physical beings. Right. And if a physical being is so consumed by hunger and discomfort, Oof. they cannot... Study. I love this. The children of Israel in the desert, they turned on God, so to speak, because they had no manna. I'm get, getting the chills. You know who says that? Rambam, who? Maimonides. Okay. That's how Maimonides explains this verse. I didn't even say it. I wanted to jump straight to the Rebbe's perspective. But that's how Rambam explains it. He says, what is the reward why, spirit, why physical rewards for something spiritual? It's not a reward as much as it is removing the obstacles that would otherwise get in the way. It's making life easier so that we can focus on what we want to focus on. Imagine if we, had a, if we didn't have food. It would be terrible. So God says, you know what? I'm going to take away that worry. I think that's along the lines of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, uh, people in poverty don't have time. They... They, they can only think right. 
of their next meal. Maslow. Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? The basic need is, you know, food, clothing, shelter, and then you go higher than that. If you don't have that, not you, if one doesn't have that basic, they're not thinking about, you know, <laughs> they're not thinking about therapy because it's like there's one, there's an argument, by the way, that a lot of the unhappiness that we have today is because life is so good, right? Because life is so good, because our needs are by and large taken care of, so now we're thinking about we have to conjure up stuff that we, you know, issues. So now it's like, oh, this and that and the other. My mother, right? But back in the day, you were eking out survival. You're probably not thinking about the trauma that you had because someone looked at you the wrong way. It's just, it's just a thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate it. I'm just saying, like, we live, we live in a space that's so much, you know, it's so better, so much better than ever before that now we're exposed to a whole other landscape of sorrows, of worries and concerns. I don't know. I guess we could ask ourselves the question. I don't have, a, I don't have a, an agenda here. I'm just saying, which would you rather? Would you rather like, have the concern about you know, physical, physical existence and having to work the field and whatever, or all that stuff is taken care of and now the concern is about emotional or psychological stuff? I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Okay. Mark, yeah. Rabbi Ari, could, could you again say what that, <coughs> for engraving, what was that Hebrew word? Chakika. Let me see. Oh, you know, I could write it in Hebrew, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not quick on the typing in Hebrew. It's uh, the ches, the kuf, yur, kuf, hey. Chakika. Um... Do I have a keyboard that I can pull up here? That's good. I've got it. Oh, look at this. Hacked it. <sighs> Folks, just happened. I'm able to change my language and pull up a keyboard in one fell swoop. Look at that. Look at that. All right. That was a quick find. Now, now that I know that I know where that is, I can use that and be more dangerous. Okay, back inside. Let's go quickly to reading number two. Now, listen, these were three verses, but these are three powerful verses. So now on to reading number two, which is for today. It's also a very short reading, four verses. So we'll, we'll cover this, and then tomorrow we'll pick it up from reading three. Okay, Leviticus chapter 26, verse number six. And the blessings continue. Remember, as a result of us integrating Torah and mitzvot and etc., uh, rain and produce and and um, enough food and um, uh, we won't fear. And I will grant peace in the land. That's a really big blessing. Shalom ba'aretz. Venesati shalom ba'aretz. I will grant peace in the land. You know which land? That's I'm at the land of Israel. And you will lie down with no one to frighten you. That's, look at that blessing. You go to sleep at night, you won't be afraid. For anyone that's ever gone to sleep at night, afraid, that's a tremendous blessing. I will remove wild beasts from the land. Okay, that sounds good. I mean, wild beasts doesn't sound like it's a pleasant thing to deal with. And no army will pass through your land, even not for war. 
as I believe Rashi will explain, just even for maneuvering, there's not going to be a need for armies to pass through. You will pursue your enemies. God continues to rain down the blessings on us for observing the mitzvot, studying Torah. You will pursue your enemies and they will fall by the sword before you. It doesn't even say that you're going to kill them. They'll fall by the sword before you. They're going to undo themselves. By the way, there are so many reports, the Six-Day War, the miracles that happened in the Six-Day War, of the enemies, Jewish enemies, approaching with tanks and seeing like one Jewish guy that was probably about to pull out the white flag. And they got these, they had a vision of tanks and, and they ran and they, they hurt themselves. It's a blessing. Look at the blessing. The blessing is you won't even have to pick up any armaments. You will pursue your enemies. They will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will pursue a hundred. And a hundred of you will pursue ten thousand. I have to figure out if that ratio is holding or if it's getting exponentially better. Five to a hundred or a hundred to ten thousand. I'm not going to do the math right now, but I, I believe it's, it's even... The, the ratio is is gaining ground exponentially. And your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will turn towards you. God says, I will turn towards you and I will make you fruitful and increase you. And I will set up my covenant with you. That's a lot of blessing. That's a lot of blessing. Let's do Rashi. And I will grant peace. You might say, here is food and here is drink. But if there's no peace, there's nothing. Look at that. Look at that. You can have food and you can have drink. And I'm going to just elaborate on this. I'm going to take some poetic license. You can have money and you can have homes and you can have cars and vacations and splashy Instagram accounts. But at the end of the day, if there's no peace, there's nothing. It's garnished. It's garnished health. What does it help? You have, you have all this stuff, but you're tormented. What, what kind of blessing is that? Scripture therefore states, after all this blessing, I will grant peace in the land. In other words, because shalom, peace, is the greatest blessing without which no other blessing could be really enjoyed. How can you enjoy the blessing if you don't have peace? So therefore God says, I'll give you this, that, or the other, and peace to enjoy it. From here we learn that peace is equal to everything else. If you want to give someone a blessing, or you want to ask a blessing, ask for a blessing, peace should be in there. And so this, this is illustrated in our morning prayers. When we say, Bless are you, Lord, who makes peace and creates everything. Makes peace and creates everything, that means when you have peace, then you can enjoy everything in creation. Without peace, you can't enjoy anything. No army will pass. By the way, this is true in, in, in every, in, throughout the prayers. Think about how the Amida ends, the Kaddish ends. The last blessing of the Shemona Esri in the Amidah is Sim Shalom. Give us peace. I mean, that's uh, after all the blessings, wisdom and, and health and everything, but without peace. I mean, health is a big one also. I don't want to discount health. Health is also up there. But peace, peace is very important. Okay, back inside. Yeah. Rabbi, I've got, a, I've got a really interesting note here. It's from uh, Mizrahi. Yeah, that's a commentary on Rashi. Yeah. Oh, 
It says the passage, yeah. says passage of the subject of peace. It goes back to the subject of plenty in verse 10. This indicates that peace is not only a blessing in itself, it is a feature of the blessing of plenty. Right. Without peace, we cannot enjoy plenty. Exactly. It's like it's the container almost that the blessings can be enjoyed. If not, if the, if peace is if there's no peace, then it's like trying to fill up a broken a broken cup. That it's going to go in, but it's going to fall right out. Okay. No army will pass through your land. Rashi says it is unnecessary to state that they will not come to wage war because we just said about peace. But they will not come even to pass through your land from one country to the other. You won't even have any armies. Passing through because it'll be so peaceful, you're not even going to be involved in other countries' maneuverings. You're not going to be in the middle of anything else. Be totally peaceful. That's the blessing. They will fall by the sword before you, each man falling by the sword of his fellow. You won't even have to do anything to your enemy. They're going to kill each other or get rid of each other. By the way, we've seen that. We've seen that also in modern times with Israel. How the nations, the other nations, they end up fighting with each other and, you know, they take each other out uh, to Israel's benefit. Again, the greatest blessing is peace for everybody. That's what we want. But certainly we, we start with family first and, 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 and Israel first. And, and uh, we see, we've seen this, where the other people will turn on each other. And meantime, thank God, you know, Israel is spared with all that. Let's continue. Five of you will pursue it will only require, Rashi says, five of your weakest to pursue a hundred enemies, and not even your strongest. So five of you, Rashi says, not even your strongest, your weakest. Five will pursue a hundred, and a hundred, ten thousand. Ah, here we go. But is this calculation correct? Rashi's pointing out the ratio question. Since five will pursue a hundred, this means that each Jew will pursue twenty enemies. Therefore, should Scripture not have written here, and 100 will pursue 2,000. Right? If you, if you continue with the ratio, 5 to 100, so 100 to 2,000, not 10,000. But the Torah teaches us that there is no comparison between a Jew who fulfills the Torah and many who fulfill the Torah. Oh, I'm sorry, not a Jew, a few. Okay, let me read that again this time correctly. But the Torah teaches us that there is no comparison between a few who fulfill the Torah versus many who fulfill the Torah. And thus, here, the larger the group of pursuers, the higher proportionally is the number pursued. In other words, when you have a few doing the right thing, you can have, you know, the ratio is times 20. When you have many doing the right thing, the ratio is times uh, 10, uh, not 10, times 100. Not 20 times, not 20 times, 100 times. It's like the ratio is exponentially increased the more, it's like, uh, so what I'm looking for? It's like um, a tipping point. The more you get, the more exp exp the exponential growth is. And your enemies will fall by the sword before you. This promise already stated in verse 7 is repeated here to teach us that the enemy will fall before you not in the usual manner. In other words, that many of them will fall by the hand of only a few. It's not going to be normal. It's going to be like... Uh, uh, um, miraculous the way the enemy falls. I will, turn, I will turn towards you. Rashi says, I'll turn away from all my affairs and pay you and pay your reward. God says, I'm going to put everything aside and just give you your reward. To what may this be compared? Rashi gives a parable to a king who hired some workers 
only one of whom worked for him for a long time, while all the others did not. When they presented themselves to receive payment, the king quickly paid the others a small amount, while to the one who had worked long, he said, they worked merely a little for me. But with you, I must now turn my attention to calculate the substantial amount that I owe you. So first he gets rid of the ones that are easy calculation. He says, all right, now let me focus how much I owe you. So likewise, God will quickly pay the nations the small amount he owes them for their little good deeds, and then he will turn, turn his attention, as it were, to the Jewish people to calculate their great reward, as is taught in Torah Kohanim in the Midrash. And I will make you fruitful. Unlike the usual expression, piria virivia, in Scripture, here the two parts of this expression are separated by the word eschem. The first part, vephrasi eschem, refers to the blessing of being fruitful and multiplying. And increase you refers to the blessing of having dignity of stature being able to hold one's head high, well, one's head up high due to dignity. So Rashi says here, Vehefresi, Vehebesi, fruitful and increasing is not physical progeny. That's all part of fruitful. Increase means increasing your stature. Not only will there be a lot of you, but you're going to be in high, in high places and well respected. And I will set up my covenant with you, Rashi says, a new covenant not like the first covenant which you broke aha, at Sinai with the sin of the golden calf, but a new covenant which will not be broken ever. As it is said, I will form a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I formed with their forefathers that they broke. This will be a new covenant that will be eternal. And that's, of course, the eternal connection that we have with Hashem that long surpasses and withstands all sorts of... Um, all sorts of uh, sin and exile and temple destruction, etc. Okay, that's it for today. So what's the moral of the story? At least the way I see it. The moral of the story is, is it in you? Is it engraved in you? The Torah is encouraging us. God's encouraging us. Don't just do a mitzvah. Be a mitzvah. Okay, that sounds weird. But like, be the mitzvah that you're doing. The value of Torah, the values of Torah should be your values, our values. The wisdom of Torah should not just be something, it shouldn't just be a subject. I know math, I know science, social studies, and I also know Torah. Torah's wisdom should be our wisdom. It should be integrated with us. It should be part and parcel of who we are. When we do that, then God's blessings are integrated in the world, and the world responds to us in an amazing way with, with plenty, with peace, and security, and only good things. All right, thanks for joining me today. We're back on tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel. Tuesday at noon for Daily Power Parsha. Any questions or comments before we close out? Yes. Um, in my Rashi, it says, I will, I will establish my covenant with you, a new covenant, unlike the first covenant, which you annulled right. at the sin of the golden calf. Right. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. 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 Look, there's always a second chance to make a covenant, even once it broke. That's... Uh, yeah. yeah, and just and also I know you're 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 from the uh, you're from Judah. It says, and yeah. I will enter into the house of Israel and the house of Judah. A yes, new I thought you'd like it. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, and indeed, may we all be blessed. Let's integrate Torah and Mitzvot into our lives, and may the blessings flow now and forever. All right, we'll see you guys. Have Thank a wonderful you. day. Yeah. We'll see you in the morrow. No classes tonight, I don't believe. Tomorrow and tomorrow night we have classes, so join us. We'll see you soon. Have a great day. Thank you. Pleasure. See you guys. Bye. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. 
As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.